You know, I so appreciate uh, what has already been said. Thank you, Matt, brother, for that reminder that when it comes to the work of the kingdom, it's, it's never their work, those missionaries over there, and it's never our work, we missionaries here in Hayden, it's a work of God. Kingdom building is a work of God. We're going to be reminded in Matthew's gospel of this very thing, which is all to do with our King Jesus and his kingdom. The opening words of our Bible say what? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, mankind can't make itself It it takes God's initiative to create. And and God took the initiative, the scriptures tell us, to create all things for his glory. And, And in these opening words of Matthew's gospel that we turn to now, that's your cue to turn to Matthew 1, by the way. Matthew tells us that a new creation, a second genesis is underway even now. In the kingdom of God. Remember Matthew's opening words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the Biblos Genesios of Jesus Christ, says Matthew. His entire gospel is the record of a second genesis. A, a new beginning for God's world and for God's people through the work of Christ. People like us cannot recreate ourselves as image bearers of God. Self-help is no help when it comes to being remade in the image of God. Nor will our fallen world, tarnished as it is by sin, somehow recreate itself, regenerate itself. If If we just elect the right people, if we just have a strong enough military... Uh, if we just have the right school systems, no. No, this, this work of recreation, regeneration, must be a work of God. The kingdom of heaven is a miraculous redemption or, or recreation of God's world and God's people for his glory. And I, and I mention this not only because it is the theme of Matthew's gospel, which we've just begun to study, but because it reminds us that kingdom people are confident people. This is a work of God, but it's not our work. A kingdom people are secure people. What God says he will accomplish, he will accomplish. What God says he will finish in you and around you, be sure of this, he's going to accomplish it. Now this morning, Matthew's gospel reminds us that God's recreation in the gospel has much in common with God's initial creation. Genesis 1, think of it this way, tells us that the Spirit of God hovered in secret, if you will, over the, the darkness in the beginning of history. And now Matthew will tell us that the Spirit of God hovered in secret over the womb of a girl called Mary, a virgin, in ancient Palestine. 
This recreation, beginning with the birth of Christ, our Savior, is a work of God. Let's look at starting in verse 18 now together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Note that. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took, him, took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That word birth in verse 18 uh, is the same Greek word that is translated genealogy in verse 1. The, the king's birth, Jesus' birth, marks a new beginning, marks a coming of a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. So here is Mary, a teenage girl, betrothed to this righteous man named Joseph, whose lineage is of the household of David, Israel's king. And they've begun a happy engagement. Engagements always start that way, don't they? And this engagement period normally would last a year. And only then, after the year had been lived out, would they then live together and, and, and consummate their marriage. And so they're as good as married, Matthew wants us to know, but they've yet to be together physically as husband and wife. Mary's a virgin. And yet the scripture says before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And remember that of the Holy Spirit reminds us that throughout our Old Testament, the Spirit of God appears again and again as the agent of God's creative activity, life-giving work. And so here in Matthew 1, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the agent in God's recreation through his son, Jesus. This divine child, Jesus, has a human lineage. We looked at that last week in the opening verses, all of those names, remember that? Do you remember that? Okay. And now we're told this divine child, Jesus, has a heavenly lineage. And you say, well, what is that like? What's that, what's that analogous to? Nothing. It never happened before. 
and will never happen again. It is the miracle of miracles, this incarnation of God the Son, the enfleshment, if you will, of the eternal Son, our Jesus. You think about this. Nobody in ancient Palestine ever knew the gender of their child before birth. That doesn't seem like a big deal to us now. But they didn't have gender reveal parties in in Joseph's day. There, There was no cutting of a cake to see if it was blue or pink. People had no concept of that. There were just normal births. And you found out what he was or what she was when he or she appeared, right? And yet Mary and Joseph now know that this baby in Mary's virgin womb is a boy. And they even know what this boy is to be called. He's to be called Jesus. Both the baby and his name are sent from heaven because he's come to do heaven's work. He's come to do the work of God. And he's come to do a work that only God can do. Man can't save himself. This earth cannot fix itself. Redemption is a work of God alone, a divine initiative. Now, why do I mention that? Because we're going to see again and again and again in Matthew's gospel the reason that kingdom people live with assurance and live with conscience confidence and relentlessly proclaim Christ believing that God is actually saving people it's not a maybe it's not a hope so it's a surety amen Amen. don't say it if you don't believe it here's the thing the way we live our lives bears evidence to whether we believe it or not The confidence with which we proclaim Christ bears evidence of whether we believe it or not. So we'll come back to that. Let's first put ourselves in Joseph's sandals. He loves Mary, and Mary loves Joseph. But she's pregnant with a child that is not his. That's a dilemma, isn't it? From a human standpoint, how will Mary ever explain this to anybody? And Joseph's got the same thing bouncing around in his head, doesn't he? Whatever will he do? The law said, well, actually, the law said that this kind of um, infidelity, if that's what it was, was punishable by death. Not that that ever happened in Joseph's day. But certainly the law allowed for a very public, vengeful divorce to be pursued by Joseph. And he said, don't, he, heaven says to him, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Take to you, Mary, your wife. But before the angel comes, because of the kind of guy he is, he says, well, if she is to be put away, At least she can be put away privately, discreetly. It doesn't have to be the biggest scandal in Palestine, does it? And I I want us to notice that as God interrupts Joseph's agony, 
You ever been faced with an agonizing decision? As God interrupts Joseph's agony, the dilemma is solved, but it certainly does not remove the difficulty. Don't think that. Joseph gets reminded by this angel who he is and what God is doing. Look at at verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, what a strange way to be addressed by an angel as if being addressed by an angel weren't strange enough. When an angel says your name, you're not wondering who the angel is speaking to, right? You know your name, and clearly the angel does too. But this angel says, Joseph, son of David, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Do not be afraid. It's from your ancestry, Joseph, that Israel's long-awaited Messiah, Yahweh's anointed, the Lord's Christ, must enter into this world. Joseph, you remember well the prophecy of Isaiah that speaks of this miracle that is promised from God. And the thing of it is, is Joseph, who believes, nonetheless comes from a long line of skeptics when it comes to the promises of God. Can you imagine what that's like? Coming from a long line of skeptics when it comes to the promises of God? Especially when they're not immediately fulfilled? Especially when they're not fulfilled right when a person wants them to be fulfilled? Here's what the prophet Isaiah had said. Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God's people often weary him. In unbelief, don't you think? Think about the scripture that was shared earlier. This gospel of the kingdom says Jesus will go to the ends of the earth. To all the earth and then the end will come. You believe that? Is it the wind in the sails of our gospel labors? I wonder if God's people today sometimes weary him with our unbelief that he has sent us a king born of his spirit who is building a kingdom that will last forever. There's a lot of God's people today who don't speak and act and live as if they believe this is so. Not us, but other churches. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if there are any here this morning who need to be reminded who you are and what God is doing. Is your life wrapped up in who you are and what God is doing? How easily we forget that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God in whom a great recreative work is being done. 
We're born of the Spirit, we who are Christ today. He's begun a work in us, and he's begun a work around us. And yes, we have our plans, just as righteous Joseph did have his plans, just as Mary did. And yet, God's work is not always according to our plans, is it? God's work is a better work, and it's a greater work, but it's often a disruptive work from our finite human perspective. You think God may dare to disrupt your plans? My plans? Our plans as a church family? As he builds his kingdom? As he takes his gospel to the ends of the earth? You're still listening. Think about this. Mary will never be free from the stigma of becoming pregnant before she is married. Oh, what a great story those kids came up with, people say. Wink, wink. Jesus himself will be mocked by those who would say, well, at least we weren't born of fornication. They couldn't answer his truth, so they, that's what they had. God's way is often not the easy way the popular way, nor nor the way we imagine it to be. The work of our king and the way of his kingdom are often disruptive. How disruptive, you might ask? Well, think of it this way. God will not bring his son into a life and leave that life as he found it. Not ever. Redemption is a divine initiative. It's not a work you do. It's not a work I do. We do. It's God's work. And God will not bring his son into your life and leave your life the way he found it. Just ask Joseph and Mary. The gospel is not to do with a slightly improved life. It's not to do with God coming alongside you to help you do this and that and the other thing that you've planned to do. Nor is it an easy life you've always imagined for yourself. It's, it's to do with a new life. A life that absolutely necessitates the work of the Spirit of God. A recreation work of God for His glory. Don't, don't be afraid, Joseph. God has taken the initiative, as unlikely as it seems to you, And to Mary, he's doing what he promised he'd do. Verse 21, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why must he be born of the Spirit, our Jesus? Because this child, first of all, must be fully human if he's to represent humanity. And so he comes into humanity through the womb of humanity. And yet he's born of the Spirit, isn't he? Because he must be fully divine if he is to redeem humanity. Redemption is a work of God. It's not a work of of man. Jesus, the King, has come to represent you before God. 
And he's come to redeem you from God's wrath for your sinfulness in your humanity. So this child must be divine. And this child must be human. You mean half and half? No. All in with both. And again, you say, well, what is that like? It's like nothing else. Jesus had no sin nature handed down to him from an earthly father. And that is why Matthew has taken great pains to make sure we know that Joseph is Jesus' legal father, not his biological father. And yet Jesus' human nature, very, very ordinary like our own, comes through his otherwise ordinary mother, Mary. This is God, the eternal Son, born into humanity, says the angel. And so this birth is not the beginning of his existence. You can't think that. God, the Son, has no beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He has no beginning and no end. And yet, this birth is the beginning of Christ's humanity. Now, I'm not going to belabor all of that uh, because I mentioned to you last week uh, that we'll try to focus, uh, keep our gaze on Matthew's main theme here. This is to do with our king and our kingdom, that this divine initiative that is our gospel. And so I want us to just notice here uh, with the rest of our time, and that does not mean we're almost done, so don't think that. You'll be very discouraged if you read it that way. Um, I, I want us to just think about the clarity of our king's mission. And I want us to see in Scripture the certainty of our king's mission, okay? Verse 21, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, his, his name itself means Savior, why did Jesus come into this world? To save his people from their sins. And he will do so. It's certain. This is not a maybe. This is, a, this is not a hope so. This is a divine initiative. What God sets out to do, he accomplishes. Jesus does not come only to save us from hell. Don't think that. Though he does so. We who believe in him. Jesus does not come only to save us from a hopeless, pointless life, though he does so, those of us who follow him. He saves us from hell and a hopeless, pointless life only because he saves us from our sins. So we need to reckon with this whole notion of our sins if we're to experience the glory that is this divine initiative of God in his gospel. If you had no need for a savior, God would not have sent his son. Because we need a savior, the father sent the only one who can save. Notice it says, he will save. Jesus is the only Savior. So the, the, there are not a myriad gods, though it is believed so in northern India and Nepal. 
man cannot save himself, though it is believed so here in the West, where we are so brilliant. (laughs) Believing ourselves wise, we've become fools. He will save. Jesus will save. So know this, your sin is the problem for which the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is the only solution. Do you believe this? Can can, can you say with God's people, yeah, my sin is the problem for which Jesus is the only answer. Could you share that with your neighbor? It is the great need that only Jesus can meet. Well, what is sin? What is it? You say, well, it's bad stuff. Well, we we need to be careful with that because even the stuff you and I sometimes imagine to be good stuff is actually bad stuff, right? So what, what is sin? The Bible describes sin in a lot of different ways. I'm only going to mention a couple, and maybe over lunch or a late breakfast, you can discuss the rest of them. But it means to miss the target, to miss the mark. What's the mark? Holiness. We've been created to be God's image bearers. What is God like? God is holy. So we're always to be aiming at holiness, created to be truthful. We lie. Created to be faithful. We're adulterous in our thoughts about God. Created to be content, we covet. Created to honor our mother and our father. We dishonor them, do we not, with disobedience when we're youngsters and neglect when we're oldsters. This sin thing follows you around wherever you go. It's not their problem, it's your problem. And and mine too. Created to rest in God, we labor for self. Follows you everywhere you go. So how can we not see that Holiness is a target that we, by nature, never hit. We we, we always miss it. And that's only one way the Bible describes sin. To sin, the scripture says, is also to transgress God's boundaries, to to live outside the boundaries. What's that all about? God set the boundary markers, didn't he, in Eden, when he created Adam and Eve. Stay within the boundaries and you shall live. Disobey and you shall die. And yet Satan comes along and says what? You shall not surely die. God is a killjoy. If you step over the boundaries, you're going to have a better life than you could ever have living within the boundaries. He's the father of lies, isn't he? That's why some of us here today, right in this room, church people who shower every Sunday, (laughs) 
Some of us are living outside God's boundaries even now. Do you think he cares about that? And Satan's really made losers of us all in that sense. No one in this room, myself included, can say, you know, I, I never live outside God's boundaries. I'm good. The same sin nature that causes the racist to murder in Buffalo, the same sin nature that causes the terrorists to slaughter in Ukraine, the same sin nature that causes the Hindu to worship a myriad gods or a cow or an ancestor, that same sin nature resides in each of us. Oh, how we need this Jesus. Call him Jesus. He he will save his people from their sins. Sin is not their problem, those people. Sin is my problem. And sin is your problem. For which only the life and death and resurrection of this Jesus is the solution. So the Bible looks past the body into the soul this morning and and, and says to every one of us, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death, eternal death, in the hell of God's wrath. Oh, how we need to be saved from sins. How we need this Savior, Jesus. But Jesus has come, hasn't he? The king is here. He's been born unto us. To save. The sin problem is not personal to our king. As it is us. Though he is human. How human is he? He's as human as you are. Though without sin. He's never missed the target. He's the holy one. He's never lived outside the best that is contained within the Father's boundaries. Uh, Jesus said, I've come to do the will of my Father. Jesus came to be what you are not, the measure of perfect humanity. He is Emmanuel, Matthew says. God with us. He, God has taken the first step of reconciling us to himself. Now think about that in terms of your own relationship with God. You didn't find God. You didn't take the initiative to move toward God. He's taken the initiative, hasn't he, in Christ. Now I want us to notice that because salvation is a divine initiative, Its accomplishment is certain. Notice it says in the text, he will save. He will accomplish the task for which he has come. It's not that Jesus has come to make an attempt, to make an effort, 
Do not believe the lie that Jesus in weakness is just patiently waiting outside the door of the human heart, hoping against hope that somebody will turn to him. That is a false Christ. He is the king. And he's building a kingdom. And he will save all whom he has come to save. Not one will be lost. How can you not proclaim Christ with confidence, knowing the power of your king. He will save his people. How interesting. Not all people. His people. Because salvation is a divine initiative, its work is exclusive. Stay with me now. We're going in a direction. He will save his people from their sins. It simply is not true that all people one day will be saved. That that, that is a false gospel. That, That is not what the scripture teaches. But be sure of this. All who turn to Christ will be saved. There's no such thing as a person who wants to be saved who will not be saved. Do you believe that? Jesus has come to save all that the Father has given to him, and and, and they alone, his people, known only to him. And we bear witness to Christ with confidence because we go out into the wide world and we notice that people don't wear name tags, do they, that say, I'm one of God's people. Don't waste your time with me. I'm not one of God's people. Sadly, an awful lot of us live as if everybody's wearing the name tag that says, I'm not God's people. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus has come to save all that the Father has given to him. And it's for his people that this salvation is made real and active and effectual and everlasting. And lest there be confusion about this, let me just say, and and we're we're wading into doctrinal um, scruples that some of you may have, but on on the authority of Scripture, we can say that, that atonement is not for everybody. It is limited in this sense, or it is particular in this sense. All people will not be saved, not because there's a limit to the power of Christ's work for us at Calvary, but because simply all who call on his name will be saved. So that the application of his saving power is for those whom Jesus came to save. Not, not one will be lost. That's why, listen, that's why this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in Delhi, India. It must be preached in Kerala. It must be preached in Nepal. And it must be preached in Southern California. Do you realize somebody needs to stay there? Listen, the gospel must be preached... That wasn't even a joke. Listen, I don't know why this is so funny. 
Don't leave the place God has placed you to preach the kingdom. You think people need the gospel in Seattle? You think they need the gospel in Portland? How about Coeur d'Alene and Hayden? Okay. A king has come to save his people. And he will save his people from their sins. So we go to Coram, Montana next month and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And we go down the street to McIntyre Family Park in August to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom because the king has come and he will save his people. And if you're not excited about this, check your pulse. It's worse than you thought. (laughs) This is good news, this gospel, this kingdom. Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, no name can banish fear like the name of Jesus. It is the beginning of hope. And the end of despair. Wow. He will save his people. Begs the question, doesn't it? You're still listening. Begs the question, how do I know if I'm one of his people? I mean, if the name tag thing isn't happening, how do, how do I know? I'm sitting here in a building with a cross on it. Does that increase the odds? Not so much. God doesn't play the odds like we do. This is a work of the Spirit of God. It's not a work of man dressing himself up, hoping to look like one of the Jesus people. This, is a, this salvation is a divine initiative. So there's none of this, I've done this, I've done that, I hope to do the other thing. It's a work of God. Has the Spirit of God hovered over you and brought about new life in Christ? How do you know? How do you know? Well, let me ask you this. What do you think of him, this Jesus? Is is he your Savior? Because you see the peril you are in because of your sins is come to save you from your sins. Do you see him that way? Do, do you see him as your king? He reigns because that's who he is. Can you say with all of God's people, nothing of myself I bring, simply to his cross I cling. That's my Jesus. That's my king. Repent, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from all else and turn to me. Enter the kingdom. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Have you you confessed this Jesus, your Savior and your King? How can I know if I'm one of his people? Well, there's another answer to that question, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close. If you're one of his people, 
does it not thrill your heart to know that you will be saved from your sins? In other words, right now, in the power of the Spirit, Christ is killing off sin in your life. He's chipping off all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. And it's painful at times, isn't it? But what a marvelous thing when the kingdom is born in you because the king has come to you that his kingdom exerts itself within you. The king's people are kingdom people. Because salvation is a divine initiative, sin will be defeated in God's people. In other words, kingdom people increasingly bear the likeness of their king. And we've got a ways to go, don't we? But that work has begun. And as we we experience that work being done, we're meant to delight in this promise that he will save his people from their sins. And a day is coming when Christ will have rid his world and us of all the effects of sin. That's, That's the last point. Sin's curse one day will be lifted from all creation. It's not to do with recycling plastic and trying to drink less water from plastic bottles and that sort of thing. Although do those things. Those are good things. Why soil the nest, right? But this recreative work in its fullness is a work of God. It's a divine initiative. Take Jesus' word for it. This is Matthew 25. We'll get to that at some point. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is our future with our king. This is the kingdom that is coming. This recreation work is all a work of God. Joseph, call his name Jesus. He will save. He will save. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for reminding us of the certainty of your will being done. The the assurance of your saving purposes being accomplished in us and in the world around us. Lord, may we not be like those who throughout history, have doubted your promises. Let us live in the direction of your promises, Lord. Let us live as hopeful, engaged, kingdom people. And let us do it, Lord, for your namesake. And it's in your name we pray.